Hey, would you grab your Bibles and turn to John 20? John chapter 20. And we'll start in verse 1. And we'll read through 10, verse 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. That's John, the apostle John, the one to whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. This is somewhere around my 20th year of preaching about the resurrection. And as I began to prepare a couple of weeks ago to get ready for this morning, I was reminded of how alive and how powerful the Word of God is. So I don't have anything new this morning in regard to details. This is the same story that people have been telling for 2,000 years. We don't need a sequel, by the way. It's fine as it is in what has come to us in these details. So it's the same characters. It's the same details. Same verses as the last 2,000 years. But here's what I know to be true. Is that God's word is alive and so therefore every time it's proclaimed, it's fresh. There is something new that we can see and experience. And I know that God and I trust him today that he will do that as we walk through something that's very familiar to us. Here's why it will be fresh today. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So God's word is alive. It is living and active, and it's going to do its work today, even in the details and things that we are familiar with. The Apostle Paul said this. This is another reason we will experience him today. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture, every verse, every word is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training for righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So time-wise, this is a 2,000-year-old story, but its original story began in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. When God spoke in Genesis 3.15 that he was going to put someone between the woman and, and man and, and enmity and, and Satan would hate this one who was to come. And he would strike at Jesus, but Jesus would crush him. And so this gospel story is really old. It's been told in many different ways. And throughout the Old Testament are all these incredible stories that get us ready for the one who would come and who would lay his life down and die and bear our sin, and who would rise from the dead. And so, time-wise, this is an old story. 2,000 years ago, 
um, this happened that we just read in John chapter 20, but it is so alive and it is so active in its scope that when we proclaim it, there is something new that happens in our lives. And we will see today why it is so important for our lives to be filled with the presence of Jesus Christ. So I grew up in Waco, Texas, not far from where we lived in a section of Waco called Woodway. It's Highway 84. It ran right by our house. And you would take that and you would go to a place called Gatesville, Texas. My dad had a deer lease out that way with some other men. And, and uh, I was never a big deer hunter. That's just too early in the morning. It's too cold to go sit and be quiet. So I was never into that. But I liked hunting and doing some other things. But there was a cabin out there. And so some of my dad's friends and their sons and myself went out to that cabin one night. We we're going to spend the weekend hunting, doing guy things. And I was older elementary, and I remember that first night we had supper, and I kind of felt like a man. I had fried armadillo for supper. Pretty amazing. Have you had fried armadillo in your life? Well, um, some people actually cook that and eat that, and so I had it. And I, you know, I'm looking around at all these older high school guys that, you know, and I was I love sports, and there's some varsity guys that were in the room, and I thought, man, I am eating fried armadillo with the quarterback of Midway High School, and I just thought, this is awesome. So the next morning, we woke up, we were going to go do some hunting. Now, in that part of Central Texas, there are these things, you may have heard of them before, they're called rattlesnakes. These snakes, and they get this rattle. Y'all have heard of that, right? No, just kidding. I know you do. So we got up, and we, we went walking, trying to find rattlesnakes. And so we came to this old stone well. It didn't really, it wasn't an active well anymore, but it was one of those incredible, if you've ever seen one of those just really old wells, you just look at it, it's like, man, that is, you know, at some point in time, somebody dug really deep, and they put all of these stones way down, and they climbed out of this thing, and it was there on this land, and my dad said, come over here. So I came over to the well, and I stood on a rock, he got a rock, and, and I stood up, and I looked down on that well, and on the outside of the well, it was just amazing, but he said, I'm going to shine my flashlight down in there, and again, it wasn't an active well anymore, and and just over time, and it didn't work, and, and so I began to look down in there, my, my dad began to shine his flashlight, and all through that, multi-layers of those stones were rattlesnake heads. They were down in there, they'd figured out a way to get down in there, I think from other places, crawling through, and there they were, and I'm standing up in there, and it's like, man, this is amazing, chill bumps, I'm like, man, rattlesnakes, we're going to do some rattlesnake work today, and not that they were going to allow me to do any rattlesnake work, but... I just thought, oh, this is incredible. And I remember backing off from that and looking at the well. That's probably, I was probably about 10 years old. And look at how amazing the well was, how old and ancient it was. And then realizing down inside that thing that seems to be so cool are the most dangerous things if they were to strike, they were to cause great harm. As I was preparing for our time here today, I thought about that experience, and I thought about your life and my life, and I thought about the hearts of the people of the world. The heart of man that's sinful has been around for a long time. And inside that heart are incredibly venomous things that cause the deepest problems in our life if Christ doesn't fill our life in salvation. The Bible's really clear. The heart of man is deceitfully wicked. We are our own worst enemy. We all know this. We, we come to know this greatly. It's not other people our greatest problem, but we are what's inside of us is. And so what we need is we need he who conquered the tomb 
to come and fill this empty life with His presence and His power so that we can know genuinely what real life means. And so I'm going to talk today that the empty tomb is the answer to our empty lives and our empty hearts. It's because He's not there anymore that there's an opportunity now to have our questions and our doubts and our confusion and our sadness and our heartache and our lack of seeing that there's a future of our lives. We can see that, no, there is an answer to all of these things that we wrestle with. And it is found in the reality that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took on flesh came and He died and He rose again. And there's great hope connected with this. The resurrection testimony in all four Gospels shows us real people. We're, we're going to read through most of John chapter 20. We're not looking at Roman leaders, Roman authorities. We're not looking at religious leaders who have fought Jesus all along in John's gospel. We are looking at real raw people who loved Jesus deeply, and yet they are devastated. Friday night was a disaster. Now, Jesus had been telling them, you and I know this, he had been telling them for quite a while all of this was about to take place. But they just couldn't wrap their mind around it and get an understanding that he was going to have to die and rise again, even though he had been telling them this. So Friday night happens, and those who love Jesus, they are devastated with what has happened. He is gone. He's not around. They're not going to get to hang with him on Saturday. They're, in their mind, they're not going to see him on Sunday. And so there's an emptiness that begins to settle in those who know Him and love Him, and who have been following Him. I hope you know this, that sometimes those of us who love Jesus have questions. We have wrestlings and doubts about things, and we're wondering, is, is all of this uncertainty, is there an answer to it? And today we're going to talk about that, and there is an answer to it. And it's a glorious answer. And so however you've come into this place today, if there's an emptiness in your heart in any kind of area of your life today, there's an answer to what you are facing. Let's look at the first emptiness that we experience. Verse 1, let's read it again. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Let me tell you a little bit about Mary Magdalene. She was one of the women who knew Jesus, and who followed around with Jesus and the 12 apostles. So there was not just the 12, these 13, Jesus and the 12 apostles who went everywhere. There was a, a number of other people who followed as well. Um, and some of those were women who followed along. Mary Magdalene was one of these, and this is all that we know about her. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 says this, Soon afterward, Jesus went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, Luke writes. And then Luke gives us this insight. And also some women were following. And here's how Luke describes these women. They had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out of her life. Now stop for a moment. Can you imagine the gratefulness that Mary Magdalene had in her life toward Christ? She had not one demon, she had seven demons living in her body. We don't know the, the, the course of this, but at some point in time they met. And the demons meet there. 
demise at the presence and power of the speaking of Jesus. And so we cast these demons out of Mary's life. She must have, after that moment, decided, I'm following this guy. This guy's getting my life. And so not only did Mary Magdalene, but, but one of the leading ladies in Herod's household began to follow as well. And there were a number of women who followed along. And so here's Mary. On the day of the resurrection, she has spent all weekend devastated. Jesus is gone. He's died on the cross. They have laid him in a tomb, and her heart is broken. She had lived a life of such gratefulness for a long time. But following along with Jesus, Mary would have seen some unbelievable things. Think about what she would have seen. Mary would have seen the dead raised. She would have seen the blind given sight. She would have seen the lame walk. She would have seen lepers get new skin and fingers. She would have been present when Jesus cast out demons and other people. And I wondered about her this week. I wonder when she saw Jesus cast out other demons, I wonder, did she leap for joy every single time? Did she just raise her hands remembering what he had done in her heart? This is a grateful woman, and the Bible tells us back in Luke 8 as well, that these women who followed, they gave of their means. They sold things, worked and did things, and they helped Jesus and the disciples get around Israel to stay places and to eat. She had given much of her life to follow Jesus. And now he's gone. He's in a tomb outside of Jerusalem, died a gruesome death, and her thoughts of the future are devastated and her heart is empty. And I think over the weekend, her heart grew more empty and she began to think, what am I going to do now? He's out there in the tomb. Well, she awakens on Sunday morning and as women can aptly do, they talk together and, and they put a plan together. Let's go to the tomb and anoint his body on Sunday morning. And so we'll take some spices. Um, they hadn't fully thought through who was going to roll the stone away, but you know, you can figure that out sometimes when you get there. And so they're going to go to the tomb and they're going to anoint his body. John focuses on Mary Magdalene. Now, I just want to point this out. did it in the first service and I think it's important. One of the things skeptics do to try to disprove the resurrection is to talk about Luke chapter 24 where it talks about these other women who went to the tomb, but John only mentions one. Well, hogwash on all of that. And John even actually clears it up with a two-letter word here. Mary sees the tomb that's empty, and when she goes back to find Peter and John, she uses these words, we, we, plural, not I, we found the tomb empty. So she even indicates in John 20 that she's with other people, these other women that Luke describes in Luke chapter 24. So that's a side note, but I just throw hogwash on all of that disproving silliness about the resurrection. So... Here's Mary, deeply in love with Christ. He is gone. She didn't lack faith. She loved Jesus, called him her Lord. But her faith is at a crisis moment on Easter Sunday morning. She is sad. She's incredibly overwhelmed at the moments. And this can even happen in those who have lives of faith. Sometimes our hopes, our perspectives on the future seem a little bit uncertain we're concerned, well, I've given so much time of my life 
two years of my life I've been following Jesus. Now he's gone. Have I wasted days? She just doesn't know what's going to happen. And it can sink the heart when you feel that way. So I want to say in the room this morning, if your heart is sunk today, over the events of your life and the uncertainty of what the days ahead may look like for you because of trouble that has come, I want to remind you this morning to do exactly, and I want to tell you to do exactly what Mary did. Her heart is sunk, and, and she has not believed yet. We'll talk about this more in a moment, but she has not remembered the things that Jesus had been telling about this Sunday morning that she should have embraced and believed already. But her heart is low She is incredibly sad, but do this. She still comes to the place where she knows Jesus is. He's in the tomb. She doesn't doesn't know. She just knows, I've got to be near Jesus. Sometimes our simple seeking that may not seem logical can lead us to a place where God can do something. Watch. She still wants to be near Jesus. She doesn't fully understand the meaning of what she's about to encounter and about to see. But she gets up and she goes. And sometimes the sadness of the heart meets the great answer. And the great answer is the risen Christ. That He can fix the emptiness of our heart in the confusion that is there. So here's Mary Magdalene. She's come with some other women. They come and the stone's been rolled away. And the body of Jesus that she has come to anoint, it is gone. So she immediately does this. We read it a while ago. She's like, he's not here. What do I do? So her idea is like, let me go find Peter and John, and I'm going to go tell them somebody has come. And she, as she's running, she's thinking to herself, and she's like, okay, somebody obviously has stolen the body. That's her logical conclusion. Somebody has stolen the body. So she runs back, finds Peter and John after seeing that, and she rushes back, and she tells them in her sorrow and her lack of direction, that, that, that Jesus' body is no longer in the tomb. As a matter of fact, it's open. It's just wide open. Anybody can walk in. Anybody can go in. He is not there. And so she has concluded what has happened and what has taken place. And so they immediately get the news. And what do they do? They get on a foot race. Got two men somewhere in Jerusalem. And they're racing outside of the city to where they know Jesus had been buried. Now, John writes John chapter 20, well after Peter had died. They might have had a verbal spat along the way as John brags about how fast he is, that he was faster than Peter. John gets to the tomb first. He looks inside. Peter comes huffing and puffing, and the text tells us there that Peter just barrels inside. And he steps inside the tomb, and he's looking around. And, and yeah, it's exactly what Mary said. He's not here. John has stayed on the outside looking in to the tomb. Their problem, John tells us, is an obvious one. And it may be why some of us in the room this morning have a bit of emptiness in our heart. Look at verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that He must rise from the dead. There is an emptiness. Listen to this emptiness. This is the second one connected to this story here. There is an emptiness that comes in our lives when we don't trust the truth of Scripture. The Scripture speaks about the rising of Jesus. Jesus, by the way, has been telling them for months that He would not be there on the third day, right? 
We, we know this. You get later in the Gospels, it says he's been telling them we're going to go up to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen. You know they would have asked questions. He would have told them and given them answers. So now he's died on Friday. He's told them he was going to die in Jerusalem. But on the third day he would rise. The tomb is empty. They aren't connecting the pieces. And the reason is they don't understand the Scripture and what it had written. And in our lives, and there may be somebody here today, this Easter Sunday morning, and you don't fully embrace and trust in the revelation of Scripture, of what God has revealed about Himself in the Bible, and it causes an emptiness in your life. Because the way we know Him intimately is to learn what the Bible writes about His character and His nature. And so here they are, He's been telling them, The Old Testament passages about this day. He's been telling them specific other things about this day. And they don't believe it. And one of the things that can bring about an emptiness in our hearts is not knowing that the Word of God fully informs us in all the reality of life and everything that we need to know God and walk with Him. So again, I repeat it. He has told them over and over that this day was coming that they would not find him in the tomb on the third day. He would rise again. He would be alive. So on this morning, Mary, Peter, and John, watch, go to a place that Jesus told them, I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to be in this tomb. But they all go to a place. And I wondered, if they just had simple trust in him, would they have done something different? So I've got something. I'm going to bring it out. I wondered if they really had trusted and believed in what Jesus had told them that on Saturday night they would have looked at one another and said, okay, we're going to stop at that 7-Eleven right outside the city gates and we're going to camp out in the tomb. I'm going to bring a Dr. Pepper. Peter, you bring the greatness of Funyuns with you. And John's going to bring some Oreos. And I wonder if on Saturday night they'd have stopped at the 7-Eleven and they'd have camped out in the tomb and believed what he told them. Could they have not seen the stone roll away and Jesus walk out? Listen to me, church. What would our lives be like if we just trusted what he said? Can you imagine the things we would see and how God would use us? He has told them over and over, I'm not staying. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise. And they could have anticipated and and been joyful and ready for that, but instead they just stay hidden away in fear. Nobody has come to the tomb on Sunday morning except to anoint a dead body. Nobody has on their mind what he's been telling them, that he's going to be alive. He's not going to be inside. He will be alive. He will not be inside. And I think our world and our lives sometimes are so disoriented because we are running to places where Jesus has told us, you're not going to find life there. And you're not going to find me in that. That pursuit of your career and sacrificing your family, you're not going to find me in that. It's going to bring destruction. And we just run around and we do that. And I just, I wonder for me, if I just trusted what he said, what would come? 
I want to remind us this morning, just for a moment, before we move to the next thing, what His Word says about you and I as His children. It says we are loved. It says we can be free of doubt and sin. We can have eternal security. We can have a new life. We are His workmanship. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been raised up with Him and seated in the heavenly places. We are no longer called servants, but friends. We are the temple. This is amazing. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God resides in His people, not in a building anymore. He resides in temples of people. He has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and discipline. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. He supplies all of our needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. We are a member of the body of Christ. We are chosen. We are justified. We are redeemed by His blood. We are appointed to go and bear fruit. We can have boldness, confidence, security, and trust. And we can have these empty lives filled, filled, filled with the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. Now later, the empty tomb will bring about a fullness in the life of John and Mary and many, many others. But at this moment, they just can't connect because they don't understand the truth. God's Word is God's Word. And it can be trusted and believed. But on this day, they're wrestling with that And it's brought in emptiness. But then there's John. So he runs fastest. He gets to the tomb. He's looking inside. And before him, he sees linen cloths. And then he sees the thing that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And it's been folded up. And it's laying there. So we have to ask the question, who did the folding? Did they have a cleaning service that came through did the angels who showed up and that mary will see in a moment do they oh we got to tidy up the place and they kind of folded things up and kind of put it in order i don't think so i want you to just ponder this with me just for a moment jesus did the folding so he i don't know if he just comes out of the clothing supernaturally or he Starts breathing again. He gets up. He takes it off. But, but I want you to know to this. And I listen, kids in the room, all children, listen to me. On the greatest day in the history of the world, Jesus folded his clothes. <laughs> kids, I have a message for you to your parents because they're supposed to be like Jesus too. So guess what your parents need to do fold their clothes, and put them up. I find, listen, this is written, we laugh at this, this is written under the inspiration of the Spirit, and it's for a reason. Why was the tomb so orderly? Because it wasn't robbed. No thieves came in there, rolled the stone away, and unwrapped a body, and if you unwrap a body the way that body had been wrapped, the place would have been a mess. It wouldn't have been folded up. John steps inside and he sees an orderliness to the tomb indicating to him 
And, he, and John tells us here, he sees the cloths, and what does he do? He believes. So standing right there, John connects the dots. Jesus has been telling us about this moment. And right there in the tomb, he believes. You see, Jesus has left his grave clothes behind because you know why? Because alive people don't need dead clothing. They need alive clothing. And when you and I come to know Christ as our Savior, we leave our grave clothes behind just like Lazarus did a couple of weeks before this resurrection. We have been given new clothing. We have been clothed from on high by Christ. Jesus leaves His grave clothes. He's got new clothing that He's wearing around on His risen, exalted body. And I tried this, this week to imagine what it must have been like for John who loved Jesus deeply and whose heart was wrestling through the weekend as well to stand in that tomb and to look at those cloths and in that moment, watch, be the first believer. He believed. He believed right there that what Jesus had been telling them was true. He had risen from the grave. And I think one of the things that you and I need to do this morning in 2021 is to spiritually peek inside the tomb and to be reminded that God robbed the grave, not man. God had robbed the grave. Well, Two apostles have run back to the tomb. Verse 10 tells us that they go home. Mary, for the second time, comes back to the tomb on this Sunday morning. So for the second time, she's come back to the tomb. She gets a little closer, and she looks inside. And an unbelievable sacred moment happens. She looks inside here, and it's very rare in the history of the world she looks inside, and an angel in white is where Jesus' head was sitting there. And another angel in white is sitting where the feet of Jesus were. And there they are, and she is beholding, and they speak to her. And here's what they said in verse 13. Woman, why are you weeping? Why do they ask this question? You know why? Because it's out of place in the moment. And I'll talk to you about what that means here in a second. This is sorrow weeping. This is not joyful weeping. Jesus' body is gone. She doesn't know where it's gone, and she is sad over this moment. So she answers them. They've taken away, hear her heart language, my Lord, verse 13, and I don't know where they have laid him. So this weeping is a sad and broken weeping. It's not joyful weeping and because mary still hasn't remembered what jesus said about his rising she doesn't embrace what he has said she is stuck in the moment on wondering where is the dead body of jesus let me remind us in the room this morning nobody takes jesus's body he willingly laid down his life nobody took his life he laid down his life willingly in the pleasure of his father to follow through on the plan for our hope, and he has been raised by the power and the authority of the Godhead. As a matter of fact, the scriptures in the New Testament um, affirm this. The Father raised Jesus, Jesus raised Jesus, the Spirit raised Jesus. So the Godhead was involved in all of this raising. Look at verse 14. So she says this to the angels, 
Um, they've taken my Lord. I don't know where they have laid him in verse 14. Having said this, she kind of turns around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. I want you to think through this with me. She is looking for the dead body of Jesus. She's not looking for the alive body of Jesus. And there he is right before her, the resurrected Jesus, and she can't recognize him. You see, sometimes when you look for Jesus in the wrong place, it can be harder to recognize him when he is present. About a year ago, I was looking for a pair of blue scissors in my desk. And I was looking, and I was like, okay, those blue scissors are here. And when I finally got everything out, I recognized that there were red scissors in my drawer. But when you're fixated on blue scissors, you can't see red scissors. Mary is fixated on finding the dead body of Jesus and the alive person of Jesus is standing right in front of her. Well, he has come to her, praise God, that God comes to us. So her second time looking for the dead body comes to the tomb, but he comes to her outside the empty tomb. She just needs to turn around and look and listen and leave the sadness and the focus of the empty tomb and to see his resurrected life. Look at 15. So Jesus speaks to her. Same question the angels have. Woman, your weeping doesn't seem appropriate for the setting. You are way too sad. So Jesus says, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, can you please tell me where you have laid him? And I will take him away. The angels knew that her weeping was out of place. Jesus knows that her weeping is out of place. And he gets it. She doesn't know what's happened here. We know this. There are tears of sadness, right? And then there are tears of joy. Celebration. And what should have been happening that wasn't happening is these were not, this was not weeping of celebration. My God is alive! Should have been what her weeping was connected with. And it moved with the reality of that. You see, she looks around and supposes him to be the gardener and she asks a faithless question. And I've wondered this week, did she five years, ten years, fifteen years later just go, how silly was that question that day? I asked Jesus if she knew where Jesus was. Because I thought he was the gardener. You see, the problem is this. When we suppose God is something that He's not, we will have a hard time seeing Him for who He truly is. She made her mind up, well, that's the gardener. No, that's the exalted Christ. That is the exalted, resurrected Jesus. And listen to what the emptiness of sadness will say. No offense about any women in the room this morning. No offense about any man. How ridiculous is this statement? Is she actually going to carry a dead body somewhere? Lord, gardener, please just tell me where he is and I'll carry him away. No, <laughs> no, you won't be able to do that. You see, sadness in our lives needs two great things. 
It needs a recognition of the presence of Christ and to hear the words of Christ. And so you know what Jesus does? He's like, I know it's going to get her attention and bring it all into focus. Mary, Mary, and she gets it. See, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And when he speaks, they respond. Mary, and look what she says. She turned in an Aramaic. She said, teacher, teacher. Bit of irony in her words here. He has taught her that he would rise again. She did not believe it, but now she recognizes his voice. And immediately she calls him teacher. And again, in this moment, she needs reminding and some instruction on the truth. So on this resurrection morning, the emptiness of anyone in the room who is sad and cannot recognize the truth of Christ for who he is, he is calling your name this morning. And if you've been distant from Him for a long time, he is, and you know Him, and you've wondered, He is calling you, and you are in the midst of your confusion. He is calling your name, child of God, in the room today. Don't suppose Him to be a gardener. Don't suppose Him to just be a good man. Don't suppose Him just to be a prophet. Believe that He is the risen Son of God. He is Lord, and He is teacher. He's more than a gardener. Look at 17 and 18 now. So Jesus speaks to her. Don't cling to me, for I have yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. As she approached the tomb that morning, she had nothing to boast about anymore. Everything had crumbled around her. She had had such confidence for a couple years of her life, following Jesus, her life transformed, seven demons gone. I know Him. I'm sacrificing of my life to give and help get this message out all across Israel. And she's lost her purpose. Jesus was her purpose. Now He's in a tomb, but now she recognizes as she meets Him and He reveals Himself to her, who he is. But that morning, she had lost her purpose. Uncertain days ahead. You know, in our world today, there's a lot of boasting and proud proclamation about a number of different things about the glory of man, and all of them fall apart. A lot of people, a lot of organizations speak about a lot of different things, and ultimately, it just does, they just don't mean anything what they espouse and what they offer in light of eternity And again, Mary earlier in the day had nothing really anymore to say. And now she meets Jesus and everything changes. You see, the empty tomb takes our empty life. And once we come in relationship with Jesus, we now have a message to tell. And we have something to live for that is transformative. Personal opinion. She has looked for him all morning. Now she meets him, and he's like, I'm going to send you away from me. I've got something more important than you just staying here and clinging to me. I want you to go to my brothers who are hiding away in fear in a room, and I want you to tell them that you have seen me.
So here's what I want you to tell them. Go to my brothers, and I want you to say divinely infused words that I'm giving you to say. Tell them this, that I am about to ascend to what? I want you to notice the language. Jesus says it's, it's very personal. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God, the Father, and to your God. What an opportunity in this room this morning that you can know Jesus is Father and He can be your Father. You can know the God and Father and He can be your God and Father. So she's been, what? Searching for Him all morning. He's there. She wants to do the most natural thing. I would want to be the same way. Wouldn't you want to cling to Him? Wouldn't you just want to run and grab Him and hold on to Him? He's like, you can't do that. I've got something better than clinging to me. I want you to go tell the story that I am alive. She came seeking and was transformed into a sent messenger. Go tell the story. You see, the empty tomb will open our our lives. We enter into faith in Christ. And now we have a divine purpose to go and proclaim what has happened in our lives and to make Him known to others. And you know, we live in a day and time with social media posts where you, if you get into this and if you do it too much, you got to be careful where it looks like everybody else is leading a better life than you are leading. And it can kind of just do that thing inside of you like, oh man, I wish I could go travel there. I wish I could eat there and I could do all this kind of stuff. And, and let me just remind us, that's not real purpose. And so here on this day, he tells her, watch, who's the first public proclaimer, missionary, in the history of the world? Mary Magdalene goes to Jesus' brothers. Man, talk to him this morning. Yeah, you know the one died Friday night, the one we love. Um, He's alive, and this is what I'm to tell you. This is what I got to say to you see a life with nothing significant to proclaim that morning now has the most significant thing to proclaim and live for and that is the resurrected jesus look at 19 through 23 as we finish up on the evening of that day sunday night first day of the week the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the jews Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father, same, same message he gave Mary, he's giving to them. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Gave him an early preview in that moment of the power of Pentecost and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I don't know about you. I had this. um, I don't sit real well. Um, I'm a pretty active person. And. I just know me and I know some of you and if we'd have been a part of that group and Mary had come back and said, I just saw him, I couldn't have stayed there all day. I would have gone to Ryan or 
you know, somebody, Brian or, you know, Wes, and I would have said, okay, let's go to the tomb. Let's, let's go, maybe, maybe he's still there. But nobody leaves the room. They're hiding in fear. Mary couldn't stand it anymore. The women couldn't stand it anymore. So they get up and go to the tomb that morning. But nobody, none of them, none of the 11, Judas has hung himself now and he's gone. None of them appear to have gone anywhere that day. Even Peter and John went back. And here they are locked away in a room which is only making things worse for them. Notice, please, there is no great faith awakening on the day of the resurrection at this moment. They're not celebrating, singing songs, oh Lord, how great you are. There's none of that going on. They are locked away in the awful prison called fear. They have been told the words of Jesus by Mary and they stay locked away. Where is the faith? Where is the faith? You see, fear brings a deep-seated emptiness that is devastating to our lives. So verse 19, look at it again. On the evening of that day, the first day, Sunday night, doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Something happens. One of the worst forms of emptiness is when we humans are locked inside of a life of fear of others. What are people going to say about me? What are they going to do to me? What, are the, what do they think about me? And for fear of the Jews on this day, they stay inside and nobody's looking for Jesus. This is what fear does. It keeps us immobilized and locked away inside of our heart or at home or some other place or locked away from the world or from church and from real supportive relationships. But there's good news. And here's the good news. They're locked away, bolted doors. The grave conqueror cannot be locked outside. And so the grave conqueror just steps into the room because he can do whatever he wants to do because he's King Jesus. And here they are hiding out in fear. He steps into the room. He shows them his wounds. And did you notice what it said? That their fear turned to gladness. And it says, and then they were glad when they realized that Jesus was alive. If you are living in fear, and fear has been a predominant theme worldwide for the last 13 months, and it has caused massive amounts of suicide among students, relationship issues, divorces up, We've locked ourselves away from connecting with people. And I want to remind you today of the hope that's in the empty tomb that there's no reason to fear. Our King Jesus is alive. He is alive. And we think that we hold the authority for the security of our lives, and we do not. 
He does. That's why our lives have security. So they're locked away in fear. He steps in. He shows them his wounds. And their hearts get glad. You see, the answer to the emptiness of the life of fear is the freedom that comes in the resurrected Lord. We'll close here. Look at 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, "Uh, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, listen to this bold belief, I will not believe. And look at the first part of 26. Eight days later. Look up here. Listen to the damaging emptiness that keeps us from confident faith. And that is demanding more evidence, more evidence, more evidence. God, I'll believe more when you show me. I'm only going to go this far, and you've got to reveal something. And then if you'll show me some more, then I'll go this far. And then if you show me some more. And many people, watch, watch, don't miss this. On the day of days, the greatest day in the history of the world, our God has conquered the grave. Thomas misses out. Why does Thomas miss out? I know it's Easter Sunday, but because I love you, I can step on your toes. God's given me that permission. So I'm going to do that just for a moment. You know why Thomas missed out for eight days? Because he wasn't where he was supposed to be among his brothers. We need to be among the people of God, worshiping, connecting, walking together in the joys of life and in the wrestlings of life. The Bible's clear about that. And Thomas missed out for eight days, but you know what many people miss out on? An entire life of knowing Jesus because they demand evidence when he has given enough evidence to believe. He's not going to give anymore. By the way, this is his evidence to us, and it's enough to believe. And so if today, as we finish, you're one of those... I will not believe until you show me and I can touch it and feel it. Do you know that you may not ever touch it and feel it? Because he's already given the evidence and proclaimed what we need to do. Look at 20, look at 30 and 31 and we'll finish here. So John writing here says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these that I've written, John says here, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. I want to close with the greatest emptiness that fills our world. And you know what it is? Not knowing Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Because that emptiness, if it never gets filled with the presence of Christ, 
through faith in Him, leads to the emptiness of emptiness, eternal separation from God. And so the empty tomb calls us and demands and calls us to believe. And when real spiritual life in Christ is not in someone's life, then it's just an empty life where somebody's relying on their philosophy of life to help them get to the next life, and it's not enough. It can't happen. So when life is not present, what does life need? Life needs belief and faith in Jesus, and He has come. So the empty tomb today is the answer to the emptiness in our lives. And you and I are invited to believe today. How great is our God? How great is He? That He made a way for you and I to believe and to have our empty, broken lives filled with His glorious presence in the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you don't know Him or you have doubts about that, we'd love to talk with you about that after the service or even during this last song. Mark and I will be back at the back if you want to talk, if you need some prayer um, concerning your salvation. We'd love to meet with you or if you don't want to do that, um, I'll stay here till 2 today and talk to you and plead with your soul to come to Christ because He loves you and He's got the plan for your life. If you need to call me later, you can call me later. Get it right today. Let's get things right today. Let's pray.